Welcome to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries, a Christ-centered conversation that will encourage and inspire you to live a better life. Now let's join Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. Hi, I'm Galen Jones, and you're listening to Hacks for Life. I'm here with Scott Rahi, a good friend, and we're uh, just kind of talking around the idea that evolution doesn't dispute Christianity. So um, we've had several conversations on this topic, and uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. So let's go, Scott. You bet. So we started basically defining evolution and what does it mean and, and talking just, you know, in general terms, you know, some of the so the major major points and answering the question whether or not a Christian can believe in evolution, you know, that sort of thing. What I want to sort of turn to now is I want to turn to the question of how strong is the evidence for evolution? Because you always start having these, con- or at least I can't speak for other people. When I've had these conversations, they, the assumption is, and it's certainly been this way in school whenever I've taken biology classes and whatnot, and that is evolution is settled science. Everyone agrees that evolution is, is uh, exactly as Darwin outlined it back in his book in 1859. And, um, I mean, there have been updates since then, but, yeah, there's just no doubt that it's real. It's, it's true. And so how strong is it? So you start. So if you start with that assumption and you just move on, fine. But if you decide to ask the question, well, tell me what the evidence is so I know if it really is as persuasive as you as you say so what is the evidence so so what we're going to be talking about the evidence for evolution for evolution yeah okay yeah um Uh, basically what the the those that might be skeptical or the unbeliever are going to kind of present to us if we were having a conversation as believers i think they're likely to well if (laughs) i say they're likely to one of the things that i have found is a lot of people who raise the topic of evolution don't understand it and they will start by saying evolution is true and then if you try and talk with them substantively about it their answer is going to typically be oh you just don't understand it but they won't go into any depth you'll get the occasional person that really does you know, have some sense of it, and they've studied it, and they'll talk, and and you'll you'll get kind of this middle ground person who will drop a lot of big words, but they don't necessarily understand what they're talking about. They're just you know, mm-hmm. there are people that try to impress other people. I'm sure I've been guilty of that in my life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we want to do is, I think it's important. So the first thing that happens when people start dropping terms and concepts and whatnot. The easiest thing to do is just to recoil and say, this is just too much, too fast. Yep. So I think it's for the reason I want to do this is to slow things down and let people sort of on their own listen and go, okay, well, this is some of the stuff I might hear. Let's listen and see if maybe I can tease that apart when I'm having the conversations and don't get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Don't feel like that I'm, you know, I'm just kind of – and honestly, if you begin like an online group, like some of these Facebook groups that I've gone to – if you say evolution is not true, prepare to have 50 or 60 responses where people are mocking you and saying all kinds of things. And it's very, very difficult to respond to all of them. And you shouldn't try. You should just, I mean, it's okay to have people come after you. You just need to feel comfortable with what you're believing. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can go to sleep at night and say, I believe this for this reason, and I think it's justified and it's reasonable, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to convince everybody around you. Well, um, so I kind of hear, uh, I don't know, um, 
a lot of the the unbelievers or the skeptics say things about their belief that they're really not knowledgeable about, just as we as believers oftentimes say. I agree. We're we say the same thing. You know, we we talk about things that we're really, or we drop a lot of, you know, theological terms, and and, yeah. and we really don't know. I agree. Uh, Hoping that no one's going to ask. Yeah, I, I remember um, when uh, I don't want to get a sidetrack, but. Um, as a first year Greek student, you know, you'd come back and we'd be teaching a class or, mm-hmm. or preaching or something and we'd drop a Greek term. Yeah. And um it never failed that there would be someone that in the uh, in the audience that would maybe even have their Greek Bible with them and they're mm-hmm. actually, you know, they're not a first year Greek student. They're like a fifth or sixth year Greek student. Right. And you know, I had one come up and go, yeah, that word does mean that, but in this context, and, and he's reading from the Greek text, um, it also means yeah. – uh, does, that, does that make sense? No, you're 100% uh, right. This is, a, this is a topic where you can get yourself in trouble quickly. You don't want to walk in – I think humility is a very important aspect of this. Don't act like you know with things that you don't know. Don't walk in and think, I'm going to use terms and concepts and just beat people over the head. All I'm trying to do here is explain the things that I do understand, and I say I do understand. The things that I've read and the, the impressions I've gotten from what I've read, I'm not a, I don't have a degree in biology. I don't have a Ph.D. like the authors that I, you know, I've read. But at least I've been persuaded in a particular direction and I'm just sharing what I'm persuaded by mm-hmm. and at least it has helped me have when possible have respectful and substantive discussions mm-hmm. and they're not often but what happens is you know a lot of these people will walk in like you say with the Greek word in the first year student I've got a word I've got a concept I'm going to use it to bash Christians <laughs> over the head and it's helpful to be able to sit down and say well let's talk about that and very quickly you find out that they really don't know more than they've already said mm-hmm. and you don't want to embarrass them you don't want them to you know but sometimes that's the result sometimes they just they just you know leave or they'll insult you or whatever and that's up to them they can choose to do yeah. what they want yeah. you don't want them to do it because of legitimate reasons because you've been mean to them but yeah. yeah well and i like the idea of, of that humility one of the things the more i have learned and studied about a variety of topics the more um humble one becomes because yeah you know that in at least i'm i'm persuaded that in my lifetime i'm not going to know all there is to know yeah, about about being human oh yeah so um and about what God is doing and about what he's going to do. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have a notion, um, but at the same time, there is that. Uh, it, it it does help us to be able to speak the truth in love. In love and, is the important yeah. part. Yeah. So, and anyway. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a story that, I'm, that I, it reminds me of, and this isn't in my notes, but, you know, we, we read Plato talks a lot about Socrates, who was his teacher, and all of the writings, his character in there is Socrates. And so I don't know if this was said about Plato or Socrates, I don't remember, but I think it was the oracle at Delphi that said, um, let's say it was Plato, it may, may have been Socrates, said, Plato, you're the wisest of all men. And he didn't know what that meant. And he spent his life trying to figure out what it meant. And he began to notice that all the people around him really didn't have a great deal of understanding and they didn't have much of a clue. 
and he realized he didn't have a clue either, but at least he recognized that, that he didn't have, have a clue. <laughs> so that one fact that he recognized that he didn't have the clue made him slightly wiser than everyone around yes, him that yes. didn't have a clue but didn't have that self-awareness. Yep, yep. So I think the humility part is extremely important, yep. and I think that's that's kind of what we're talking about. Yep. So, you know, what, what the skeptics will do is they'll rely on the fact that this is difficult. And maybe you'll run away from it. And, you know, they're looking to score points. And I don't think we ever need to worry about scoring points. Yeah. We want to win souls. Scoring points. And I've learned people want to score points with me. They can score all day long. I'm just going to not – I'm not playing that game anymore. Um, I can score them. I've scored them. It doesn't do any good. Nobody's brought closer to Christ as a result of that. Yeah. The other thing that typically happens, and you'll see it um, – if you if you watch a movie called Expelled that Ben Stein did, this exposes it pretty well. It's a good movie. I actually think it's on YouTube for free. Um, there was a uh, an article that was written by Dr. Stephen Meyer. He's the one that wrote the books like Signature in the Cell and, and things like that. Really, you know, top notch uh, science. I think his, his PhD is in uh, philosophy of, of science from Cambridge, I believe, you know, really, you know, top notch institution. And he wrote an article that went into the Smithsonian Journal. The, the name of the journal was called Proceedings of the Biological Society of Washington. It's a peer reviewed science journal. And the name of the article was the origin of biological information and the higher taxonomic categories. And it was a, an article that was advocating intelligent design. And the editor of that magazine put the article through peer review and he agreed to publish it and it got published on august 4th 2004 the guy's name was uh, dr richard sternberg and as a result of that he was removed from his position and he was severely disciplined by his uh, leadership and he was put under review and all this and we have all these examples in academia that if you go against the quote the party line if you come out and say you know evolution is false or you even question this stuff you find yourself not getting tenure in these universities. Mm -hmm. You find yourself losing your jobs. Um, there's a there's a guy that his name is uh, Guillermo Gonzalez who wrote a book called The Privileged Planet, and I forget what university he was at, but there was like this this campaign from all some of the other professors that they came together and they basically got him fired because he dared to challenge the idea that you know evolution is true and i mean evolution in the sense of completely blind unguided processes not evolution guided by an intelligence and they you know they so there's this conspiracy to completely shut this stuff down mm -hmm. um and what you'll hear and, and at least in the conversations that i've had if you get past the sort of mudslinging portion which happens a lot um, sometimes you'll hear well tell me a tell me a peer-reviewed journal article that these guys have written and I mean, I can point to the one by Stephen Meyer, but for the most part, they won't publish these things and because there's just this sort of conspiracy of silence almost. And I say conspiracy. I'm not saying that they get in meetings and rub their hands together and make plans, but people do not want dissent whenever it comes to this. So they get together and they refuse to publish these articles. And then they use that as proof somehow that this information, this, this idea that evolution is questionable um, they use the fact that there are no peer-reviewed articles as evidence that it's not credible. Well, they don't let the articles get published. So, and even when they pass peer review, people get punished for it. You know, yeah. things like that. But the, you know, it's not only that way in in this particular topic. It's that way in a variety of different um, topics. Um, 
you know, medicine. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, you name it. And you, you, I mean, in every group, mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm reading a book right now where uh, there's the 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 problem with. Uh, alter- what we would call alternative medicine yeah. uh, going up against big pharma mm-hmm. where you can't have a, a cure for X or because it hurts the bottom line of these well, big companies yeah. 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 yeah it's all about the all about the money I don't know if you remember when you were going through school and certainly in, in the counseling practice you take a person out of say a sick um, un- dysfunctional you know family or something like that a group and you, quote, unquote, heal them. You give them better coping mechanisms, better behaviors, and then you put them back into that environment. The first thing that happens is those people that are in that unhealthy environment, they don't praise that person because he or she's improved. They try and draw them back into the unhealthy patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same thing here. It's like this homeostasis process. Yep. Yep. You know, they don't want anybody changing the mind because it's hard. Change yep. is hard. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I remember when I was getting my life together and – all the the group that I ran around with, they would go, "Oh, Galen's just you know, he'll be back. He'll no, be back, no yeah. worries. He's not gonna, you know, blah blah blah." And um, it, it was it was tough because it's it, very in hard. fact, I I I lost all those as yeah. quote friends yeah. because yeah. you weren't one of them. I, I couldn't hang I couldn't hang with them if I didn't do and believe the way that they yep. did, and that wasn't good for me. That's why the cults are so powerful. You know, I'm going to completely shut you out of your entire social network. Okay, well, I'll come back and believe what you, yeah, you know, what yeah, you teach. It's, yeah. You know, those. So it's it's pretty ubiquitous. It's not just in this area, but it certainly happens in this. Oh area. yeah, yeah, for sure. So how strong is the evidence for evolution? Let's go through. I want to. There's a few areas that I want to cover, and we obviously aren't going to get through all of this today. We'll keep doing it next time. The first one is is the idea of the fossil record, and I want to read a couple of quotes to you. Um, first of all, when now this is called the fossil record, the fossil record. Okay. Yeah. Um, the idea of being dinosaur bones, things right, like right. that. Okay. Um, when Darwin wrote his, his, um, origin of species, he basically was saying, look, I know the fossil record doesn't yet provide evidence to support my theory, but in the future, you're going to uncover more fossils, and you're going to find that the fossils support my theory. If the fossils don't support my theory, then you should reject my theory. That's what he said back mm-hmm. when he was alive. So Obviously. did he give a time frame of how long you were supposed to wait before? Uh, no, he didn't. At least I'm not aware of a time frame. <laughs> wait until 19, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. He didn't do that. But here is um, this is an art. This is uh, Stephen Jay Gould, who's a, was I think he's passed on, but he was a very um, committed evolutionist. He very much pro-evolution. One of the more famous, you know, names if you start looking into it. And he's got a. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a book or an article, but it's called the. It's a. It's. I think it's a chapter within a book. The book is called The Essential Stephen Jay Gould, and the article or the chapter is called The Richness of Life. I think that may be one title. I don't know, but um, here's a quote from Stephen Jay Gould. He said, "The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology." The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. In any local area, a species does not arise gradually by the gradual transformation of its ancestors. It appears all at once and fully formed. What he's saying is fossil record doesn't support Darwin's theory. 
Now, he was an evolutionist. He said it, mm-hmm. it just doesn't support. Which Darwin said, if I understood what you said, Darwin said the same thing. It doesn't support the theory yet. He just didn't think that enough fossils had been uncovered yet. Yeah. Yep. And what he what Gould was saying, and this was in 2006, he's like, um, well, at least the, art, the book was published in 2006. Like, yeah, we haven't found them. The, yeah. the, they're but, not there. And what we mean by transitional forms is these fossils that say, look, I know I've got this animal. And I've got this animal, and I need to link them mm-hmm. together. And, and you I should see a gradual yeah, these transformation forms. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. don't the, the transitional forms between you know thinking about that. Why do you think there is such an interest in finding the missing link? You always hear about this. Mm-hmm. The reason is they want a transitional form between primates and man. Mm-hmm. They want to show that you know, but we hadn't found a missing link. You know, I've seen a few people that might be candidates, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> So here's another one that's by David Raup, and it's um, it's a it's an article in the Field Museum of Natural History Bulletin, and it comes from January of 1979, and it's called the article is called the conflicts between Darwin and paleontology. You know, paleontology is the study of these fossils mm-hmm. and stuff. He says, "Well, we are now about 120 years after Darwin, and the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have a quarter of a million fossil species." But the situation hasn't changed much. The record of evolution is still surprisingly jerky, and ironically, we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. By this, I mean that some of the classic cases of Darwinian change in the fossil record, such as the evolution of the horse in North America, have had to be discarded or modified as a result of more detailed information. What appeared to be a nice, simple progression when relatively few data were available now appears to be much more complex and much less gradualistic. So Darwin's problem has not been alleviated in the last 120 years, and we still have a record which does show change, but one that can hardly be looked upon as the most reasonable consequence of natural selection. Now, these, wow. these are evolutionists yeah. that are saying yeah. this. It's and not me. It's not a Christian. Yeah, that's that's huge, though. Yeah. When you think about that, if uh, you know, you have a century, we have a lot more data. Right. And it, we're not getting we're not getting any closer to this transitional yeah. idea. Right. And Darwin said, if you don't find it, my theory's wrong. We haven't found it. Now, you don't notice there's a lot of people going, okay, Darwin was wrong. You don't see a lot of people doing that. Yep. I think more people are doing it, interestingly enough. But it's, I think one of the reasons it's not happening more is that this is hard. People don't look into it. People kind of, you know, okay, that's science. I'd really rather go watch the ball game or yep. what it is. Yep. The one real quick thing um, – Stephen Jay Gould was so concerned about this lack of evidence for gradual change. What they were finding is there were times when radical change would occur. Like you talk about the Cambrian explosion, where all these new forms just appeared fully uh, in, in their final forms, not in transitional forms, but the forms that we find them in today. And we'll talk more about the Cambrian explosion in a while, but um, it came, it led Stephen Jay Gould to postulate this idea that he called punctuated equilibrium. And the idea is the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, there is just at this state of equilibrium and it doesn't change. And then somehow, somehow at different times in different parts of the world, there was just this explosion of change in one place. And so it's equilibrium punctuated by this intense change. Hmm. And then you go back to it. And what that is, is he's trying to explain away the fact that this evidence has never been found. 
and he's trying to come up with an alternative that salvages Darwinism. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it does a good job of salvaging Darwinism. So this is um, just the first of a few, but let's move on to the next one in the next conversation. I don't want to get, the next one we're going to talk about is homology, which I'll just, I'll define it yeah, next homology. time. Because that face okay. tells me yeah. I need to define yeah. it. Yeah, I was getting ready to um, homology. You don't have to worry about that, but we'll talk, we'll pick up there next time and we'll proceed on through the whole question. Okay, great. Looking forward to homology. Homology. You'll like it. All right. We'll see you. You've been listening to Hacks for Life with Galen Jones of James Group Ministries. The James Group is a nonprofit Christ-centered organization that seeks to serve the community by offering skilled caring support for anyone in need. For help, call 972-243-4673. That's 972-243-4673. For questions and comments, email Galen at jamesgroupministries.net. That's G-A-L-O-N at jamesgroupministries.net. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another Hacks for Life with Galen Jones.